0: All expanding entities reach critical transition points whereby fundamental change is required by everyone to move to the next level and to the next level, multiple next levels. Hopefully you're not here to get to one more next level and hang by your thumbs till Jesus comes, but to move to all the next levels. So all expanding entities reach critical transition points. They never end. As long as you're continuing to grow, You're going to have to change significantly. So we have to have the mechanism built in for change. So it it happens automatically. To whom much is given, more is required. But you miss the moment and you start to decline. Failure to do so is failure for God. God wants a steady compounding increase. So we have to reinvent the way we do business. And the way we do that is positioning, process, planning, and performance. We have to learn how to position ourselves as leaders for maximum return on God's investment in us and in his kingdom work on earth so how you position yourself will determine whether you will accelerate whether you'll achieve and whether you'll have maximum return for God and we're going to cover that first we'll start out with that secondly and tomorrow we're going to work on process Process, the process by which we build, the Proverbs process, the empowerment process, the total involvement process. Everybody in the ministry has to work this process or we will not be successful. Everybody has to work the process and we have to learn it tomorrow. We're going to learn what that process is. God gave me that process and it's from his word. Then we have to plan. That'll be day three strategic planning, 15-step strategic planning process, and the strategic planning evaluation process so we can make sure that what we plan happens. And it happens on God's timetable, not when we finally get to it some year. And then also the succession plan. We're gonna look at how to plan your succession. And leave a lasting legacy. You do not have to be my age to be thinking about leaving a legacy. It starts when you start building your ministry. From that day forward, you start building a legacy. And the ingredients that get you from here to achieve the legacy that you will have start here. And the process just builds your ministry as you go. So it's not just like we wait till we're getting sick of it or we're going to pack it in. No, we started at the very beginning. And so we're going to look at that. How do you do that? How do you build a succession plan? And then the, the last day, we're going to work on the art forms because performance is critical. The, the ability for your art and skills to function as a CEO are critical because they're going to determine effectiveness, efficiency, how you act, how you function, how you model behavior, how you like what? what are the what are the performance skills? the art of delegation, the art of direction setting, the art of evaluation, the art of confrontation and conflict resolution and all of those. And we're going to hit on a, uh, as many as we can on Saturday morning. So that's how we're going to have to These are the things we have to do to make those critical transition points. Another point I want to make. These are two key statements the Lord has been putting on my heart recently that I want to make sure you understand. This one is misunderstood a great deal. The larger a ministry becomes, the harder it is to become who you were meant to be. Why is that? Well, it's evident as we go through the training, but let me just give you some top notes. The larger you become, you become more bureaucratic. You become more maintenance-minded, trying to protect what you already have or to continue to operate in all the things that you have already done. But God is a God of increase, a God of compounding success, a God of innovation, a God of creativity, a God of building. So we can't, there's nothing in here about maintenance. Obviously, We're not even maintaining the things we put in place the year before. We're building those simultaneously to the new things that we have to build. So obviously we have to have depth of thinking and depth of competence beyond you. But we become bureaucratic. We start getting into maintenance and minutia. We lose focus. If you're not careful, you lose focus. That's why you keep coming back to these trainings. To get re-energized, but to get refocused. And to, as was already said, to not forget the things that you already know. You take things for granted. Your people take things for granted. They settle in. They settle in. Oh, I see what my job is, and all I got to do is, you know, cover the bases here. And people aren't thinking about building. And you're the master builder. You're the, you're the change agent. If we're going to build, it starts with you. It starts with your proficiency and your performance of how you do that. And we're going to learn how to do that. You, you, they resist change. They resist change. You know, oh, this is far enough. You know, any more is going to require more work. I have to learn new things. I'm going to have to work with new people. I'm going to have to figure new stuff out. I'm going to make a mistake. I could embarrass myself. You know, I, just leave me alone. I'm, I'm comfortable. I got this thing worked out right here in my department. Leave me alone, okay? I don't want to do anything else but right here. Praise the Lord. Resist change. Run out of leaders. We run out of leaders. Why, why are we... Why why is it harder to become who we were meant to be? Because you've run out of leaders. You're you're only going to go as far as your leaders can take you. So when you run out of leaders, you've run out of gas. So we run out of leaders. We settle. We're comfortable with the culture we're in. Instead of ratcheting up to a higher level of performance culture, a higher level of efficiency and acceleration, progress, return, we settle. And we don't develop generalists. We don't develop generalists. People that, as God layers on more and more things, these are leaders that can handle many, many more things. Not just their own little niche, their little silo of expertise. But these are people that can handle a, a myriad of different things. Even air, they can lead areas that they don't, they're, not, they're not, not that knowledgeable about because they know how to lead. And that's what we're going to learn here. How to lead. So you can lead anything. You can Lead the whole ministry. You leaders, lead your area. But we need generalists. And then I'll just close it by saying this one final statement. Today's macro has to become tomorrow's micro. That's that's your gauge. That's how you know whether you're moving forward or you're stagnated and maintaining. Today's macro. In other words, the most important things today are less important tomorrow because we got more important things that God's layering on us. Today's macro becomes tomorrow's micro. Positioning, process, planning, and performance. I say to pastors when I work with a client, and this was mentioned or alluded to earlier, but I, I, I say, sir, what is it like to be you? What is it like to be you? That's, that's the first question I ask when I work with a client. I, I don't get a lot of clients, I think, because they don't want to be asked that question. Uh, so maybe I need to leave that out. But I, what is it like to be you, sir? And I always ask that the critical catalyst for change be there, the spouse. Okay, so what is it like to be you, sir? Oh, uh, what is it like to be me? Uh, well, let's see. We, uh, we've got... Uh, we got um, We've got some more uh, young people in the youth group. Yep, young pe- more young people in the youth group. Yep, and uh, we're on another radio station. And then the critical catalyst for change said, Bob, get honest with the man. He wants to know what it's like to be you. Oh, you want me to be honest? <laughs> yes, sir, that, that's a good idea in Christian work, you know, to be honest. Yeah. Oh, well, I mean, you really want, I mean, you really want, yeah, this is frustrating this is, this is for, I, I don't know how much more that I can take. In fact, we've been, we've been thinking about getting out. And then, then the critical catalyst for change, Bob, get honest. We've been planning it for two years. <laughs> I always think of the pastor in Albuquerque who've been planning it for two years. And I mean, he had it all worked out. How he's going to get out of this thing? They worked on it for two years, he and his wife. Yeah, we've been planning, get on it. Well, what's it like? Well, it's frustrating, the, mo- the two words that are used most frequently, it's frustrating and, it, and it, well, let's start out with the good one. They always start with the good one, fun, two words, fun and frustrating. Those are 85% of the time, same words. It's fun. What's fun? Well, there's nothing funner than standing up here under an anointing, operating in your calling, delivering the word of God, and seeing people delivered out of their bondages and living in victory. I mean, how does it get any funner than that, Right? but then you gotta go to work with these people. And then it gets frustrating real fast, as they describe. So, fun and frustrating. We need to make it all fun, and it will become all fun. And you ask some of these, that it's, it's fun. There's joy again. Then I also say, sir, why am I here? You know, you're paying me big bucks to come in and, and consult with you and, you know, client relationship here. Why am I here? Why? Why am I here? What? Do you, what are you getting? What are you expecting to get out of this? And then they they tell me, look at look my library over here. Look all all these books. I've read all those. Some of them I read two three times. And over here, look. These are all the tape series, and I've listened to all those too. Some of those two or three times. Here, this one, 29 Steps to the Fourteen That Might Work, and <laughs> and and then they just they just turn to me and they say. Can you please just show me how to do this? So this training is practical application. You ask them. That's the, I mean, otherwise, this is a waste of time here. And I know I'm priming the pump here, and I'm taking time to do that, and we were trying to capture it. For, for the video, but I, I, th- this is not a waste of time. It's important that you hear this again. Repetition is the motor of learning, but we have to know how to apply this. Now, if you take that a step further, then you have to teach your people to apply these things. Because if you're the only one who knows how to do it, it doesn't change anything. We don't change the culture. We don't change the dynamics. And my people are destroyed for what? Hosea 4.6. My people are destroyed for the lack of knowledge. So. You're, getting a lot, a lot of, you're going to get a lot of knowledge here when we start filling up the boards. But then, then what? pastor told me one time, yeah, but read part B and C. My people are destroyed for rejected knowledge too, right? Rejected knowledge. In other words, you know, I've never had anybody come to the training and stand up in the back, you know, and say, boo, that's a bunch of bunk, you know, and walk out. They never reject it that overtly. There's a more subtle way to reject it. And that's, uh, oh, that was interesting. What else you got? What else you got? You got any books, tapes, huh? stuff you haven't learned? They're all in the trunk of your car. I can't even get into some pastor's car when they pick me up at the airport. It's all those tapes they haven't listened to. They're one in the, they're at the, in the uh, attic or in the top of the garage, the box with the cross on them. We're going to get to these when we retire, you know. So, No. Pastors come up to me. You, it won't happen here because I'm telling you this, but they come up to me at the end of the training. Uh, Dr. Radke, uh, do you have any good books I could read? And guess what I say. Why don't you read the one you just filled up with notes? And when you can apply that to your life, I'll give you another book to read. And I'm serious. This is it. If you can apply this stuff, it, it'll change your life and your ministry. Here's what they say, and the conversation continues. I, feel, I often feel isolated. I almost feel chaos is the rule. I'm weary. If I could just see my heart in them. We seem to move forward, and then something, it seems like an endless, endless cycle of busy work. And where do I go from here? What do I do? How do I do this? Most ministries are overmanaged and underled. So I want to show you how to lead. Most ministries are so laden with toxicity. Most pastors are adrenaline junkies. You're so tightly wound and you can't get off the treadmill. And the list goes on. We all know guys that were so tightly wound that they aren't with us anymore. A couple of you in this room were near casualties. A couple of you in this room we almost lost, because you were an adrenaline junkie, and you were so tightly wound. You didn't have a life, and you were so frustrated and consumed with trying to make — we talked earlier about 40 percent will have an extramarital affair. Well, so many pastors are having an extramarital affair with their ministry, trying to make it work, so they have no other relationships so tightly wound, guys we know that aren't with us anymore, and the tragedy is there's nothing left. The ministry doesn't even exist today, or it's hanging by its thumb. The CEO must be strong, and there's a word that I uncovered. It makes me sound more intellectual. uh, Pursuant. puissant. I don't even know how to pronounce it. It's new (laughs) to me. Puissant. My pastor is very eloquent, so uh, I I get a lot of new words from him. But uh, the CEO, not this one, though. The CEO must be puissant about how he can best add value to the ministry. What does that word mean? It means to be potent. It means to be strong. It needs to be uh, efficacious, effective, and all those things. And... We'll come a little bit, we'll get to that a little bit later. And Well, let me get, just give it to you here. Here's what it means. And this is what I want for you. That's what this training is all about. And this is what your goal must be, to be puissant and to, and, uh, to establish uh, puissancy in your ministry so that more and more people are puissant. What does it mean? Powerful, mighty, strong, able, efficient, forcible, efficacious, cogent, influential. Having great authority. Producing great effects. Powerful in skill and moral sense. It's a great word, isn't it? I'd never heard it before. Puissant. So that's what we're working on here. I Put that in contemporary terms and relate it to, to today's terminology. For a lot of you who are half my age. You know, what we're about doing here is architecting ascendancy. Branding relevancy. Here's some new buzzwords, but this, it all fits into the training. Architecting ascendancy. How are we going to build? How, how, what are we going to build? And is everybody going to be a builder? Or is it just one or two of us who are trying to make this thing work? Architecting ascendancy. Secondly, and we'll break these down more in advanced trainings, and so branding relevancy. Branding relevancy. We're going to have to learn. What is our brand? Most of us don't even know what it is. What is our brand? So then how are we going to relevantly communicate that to today's society? Branding relevancy. Compounding competency. The more competency we have, the further you will go and the faster you'll get there. So we have to have more than just a few people being competent in ministry. Corporations out there don't succeed, don't survive, don't have returns on investment if there's just a few people. Bill Gates said a number of years ago, if we lost our top 20 people, we'd be finished. And he said, so we work hard at developing people down line or they would never have done what they've accomplished. Uh, Facilitating innovation. Facilitate, you're the facilitator, you're the leader. So, uh, and facilitation means to make easy or make facile for people to be innovative. So you, if you want an innovative culture, then you have to facilitate innovation. So you have to make it easy for people to contribute. You have to make it safe for them to contribute. Safe for them to take a risk and throw out ideas, even though they're goofy ideas. That's okay. They may stimulate this idea, which leads to that, which gives us the perfect one. So we have to facilitate innovation. I don't want to teach on all these at this point. I just want to, but they're all incorporated into the training and then they come out more in the advanced trainings. Torquing performance. We have to torque people's performance, we have to stretch them. I'm not talking about abuse, but we have to stretch people. We have to torque their capability to be all they can be for you. The, the, the stronger they are holding up your hands, the, the stronger you're going to be to hear from God and to have a protected anointing and make sure that things get done right around here. Retooling mechanics. We're going to learn some new mechanics here. We're going to have to get rid of the old habits. And it's going to be hard on you. It's not a quick fix. You know, if you try tie your shoelace backwards, Sometime you'll you'll recognize how hard this is going to be for some of you to make changes From what you've been doing to what you must do You know your your hands don't even want to go there You, you can tie them the way you've been tying them for all these years You don't even have to look down you, you, you forget to even look you're thinking about six other things tying your shoelaces But try to do it backwards it takes all the focus and you, you almost have to force your Well that's what's going to be to make to make change, to retool these mechanics and exploiting puissance. So we have to have what I just said is imperative to have, for you to have in you the power, the, uh, all of the, the, the strength, the efficaciousness, effectiveness, that we have to exploit into the ministry. It has to become part of the culture of the ministry. And so in doing so, we have to reinvent you, your life, and your ministry first. Overcome the aching void of underachievement. There are thousands and thousands, but let me give you some hope. There are thousands and thousands of ministries all over the world now that are applying these principles, and it's happening for them. And they're free, and they have a life, and they're achieving some unbelievable things, and the testimonies keep getting stronger as the years progress. I want to talk to you about competition, just for a second. It's, just, it's been heavy in my spirit as I was preparing for this meeting. I wrote this prospectus, and I said, you know, there needs Everything I did in the corporate world, we always we're always jockeying and fighting the competition. You know, with Avon, it was Revlon or or some Estee or uh, at uh, the Limited, it was uh, you know the other stores in the mall. And so we were always jockeying for uh, market share and position against competition. We studied the competition. We designed plans to defeat the. And I said, but there's there is no competition in the body of Christ. We're all supposed to be working together and, and, you know, you got a church here in one city. you got all these churches and the stronger they are, the stronger we all are. You know, so there's no competition. <laughs> until, until one day I was just talking with a pastor and he used the word competition. He's talking about the devil. And I'm like, boing, you know, boing. Yeah, we have a competition. It's unbelievable. And we're... And the competition's eating our lunch. The competition is cleaning our clock. And, you know, as somebody said just recently, just as Katrina ravaged New Orleans, so is sin ravaging our planet. The devil is running rampant. The competition has never been higher. I mean, we said that earlier. Just look around. Evil called good, good called evil. Men have no answers. Greed is rampant. It's time for us to get to work to be puissant, and to face the competition head-on. And that's why it's important that you be strong, because we can't fight the battle with you weak, with you, frust- all those 37 D words, nothing happens. The, the, revel- the devil just runs roughshod over our ministries. And the crisis, that's a crisis without, but the crisis within is within our own churches, within our own ministries. We're not training and developing future generations of leaders. We're not doing that, I'm sorry. We're not discipling people. The world system is light years better at discipling people than we are in the body of Christ. We're not doing it, so we need to de- learn how to, and you'll uncover your own ways to make it even better than the mechanics that I'm going to teach, but not training future generations. Who will pastor? Who will lead? Who will speak into the lives of your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren? Who, are we preparing those people to do that, or is it finished when you're finished? Or when you get tired, or God needs to move you to a greater assignment. What will they tell them? What will future generations tell them? So I just wanted to make that point. Oh, and, I, and let me just amplify one more st- thing from Barna that I, that I, you may know this. There's, there's a 425% increase in the number of believers who never heard of the gifts of the spirit a 425% increase of believers that never heard of the gifts of the spirit and when they when they're pushed well what do you think they are or the ones that say they've heard of them the, the ones that say they've heard of them that's what this says here the one they this is what they say they are a sense of humor well, that's a good thing to have in ministry that's how you survive you know but but uh, sense of humor, listening, patience, a good personality, friendliness, poetry. Yeah, that's a big... <laughs> Go, going to church, being likable, drawing, survival, observation, being a good person. The gifts of the Spirit. Devil's, the devil's eating our lunch. 1 Thessalonians 2, 4 from the Living Bible. For we speak as messengers from God, trusted by him to tell the truth. Trusted by him to tell the truth. We change his message not one, but to suit the taste of those who hear it. For we serve God alone, who examines our hearts' deepest thoughts. Relevant, but not compromising. So the CEO challenge is this. Will you change? Will you fight for your freedom? Will you, or will you be willing to fight for that intimacy with God and your family first and second and then build a great ministry? Do you really desire to be all you can be for God? Because the proof of desire in, is in the pursuit, and this will require pursuit. It's not two easy steps to a quick fix. <laughs> Warren Buffett, he's now the richest guy in in America in the world, and, he, and he, uh, he passed Bill Gates. And he's buying up all these companies that the government isn't buying. He organized Berks, He he knows what he's doing, okay? You know that. Uh, and I'm just going to read you two paragraphs here, but I want you to get a vision. I want you to get this. This article about him and his partner here, George Munger, out of the uh, business section of the Arizona Republic. Uh, They they organized Berkshire Hathaway, he and Charlie, from the beginning. Now, you're going to have to reinvent the way you do things. But they organized Berkshire Hathaway so they wouldn't ever have much to do besides sit sit around and think. And that's still today how they run the company, even though it has grown to include roughly 250,000 employees and more than 70 subsidiary companies. He owns 70 companies, and he still sits around and thinks, okay, you can get there. You can get to that point. And I'm going to show you how, and you have to, to stay strong and he he finished by the next paragraph he said neither and this is Charlie interviewing about Warren neither Warren nor I is smart enough to make the decisions with no time to think and we're gonna get to that you have to have time to think you have to have time to air it out we make actual decisions very rapidly but that's because we've spent so much time preparing ourselves by quietly sitting and reading and thinking and gathering the facts. And you're going to learn there's two kinds of facts. There's quantitative facts and there's qualitative facts. There are the facts that people that God has entrusted to you have that you've got to get in you, that, that, that God has sent them to you because they're there to help you. He's entrusted them to you. And so we're gonna learn how to get those facts. Working alone has some benefits, survival isn't one of them. So do not work alone. Do not work alone. And we're gonna learn how to work with teams.